welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Well, good morning again. Um, today we're talking about an interesting subject. And so I do not want to uh, give me a little bit more in the fullbacks, if y'all don't mind. Um, we're in First Peter, First Peter, the second chapter, verse nine. First Peter, the second chapter, verse nine. One verse. But you are a chosen race a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Brief time I'm with you today. I want to talk about overcoming the stronghold of racism. Overcoming the stronghold of racism. Mighty God, we need you to buckle us up. We need you to help us to be a people who walk as your own possession. So today, as no different, we need power. We need power not just for people to get through their week. We need power not just to uplift our spirits. Those things are great, but God, we need stronghold-breaking power. We need power to destroy the most stubborn things on the planet, and one of those is racism. You said one of the things in your word in Proverbs 6 that's an abomination is one who sows discord amongst intimate friends. And so, God, help us to not be devoured or devour one another, but help us to honor you and bring those thoughts captive in Jesus' name. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer, in whom we trust. In Jesus' name, amen. That video um, that was played earlier is a video of a woman who has been doing uh, race work for years. And uh, that work has been done for years. And in that video, you saw her exposure of a room of um, whites who, if you were to just engage many of them about the issue of race in the country, a lot of things would come up. But her question to them was important. Would you want to be black in this society and receive their treatment that blacks receive. None of them raised their hand. None of them raised their hand and she said, listen, the reason why is you know what's going on and you're doing nothing about it. I, I, I am beyond convinced that there is not a person in our society that doesn't know this exists. <laughs> Y'all quiet on me today, it's okay. Um, I, I, I believe definitively that the enemy it, it is a tactic of the It's not just sociological, it's spiritual. And so when we talk about racism, people are all over the place with it. But I hope that this brief uh, 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 similitude will do its work in helping all of us to know what do we do about this thing? Because we can talk about this all day, and, all day and night. And I'm not saying I'm solving the issue, but I do believe the scripture has a lot to say about challenging this. And someone is saying, why, why do we talk about this so much? Because I, I believe we've, we've talked about it very little in relation to the historical issues of what's gone on in this society. And so somebody asks, what's racism? What is it? I'm glad you asked. Racism is prejudice, discrimination, antagonism. Direct, directed against a person or people on the basis of their membership in a particular uh, racial or ethnic group, typically one that is a minority or marginalized, marginalized. So racism is, 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 is different than prejudice, if you will. Prejudice, prejudice, if you will, is, is a bit different because it's biased or preconceived opinion about someone. So prejudice is the ability to have a disposition towards someone, but racism is the ability to enact your power 
based on your 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 uh, 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 your um. Your, your prejudice against someone. Anybody can be prejudiced. Only a few people can be racist. And so racism is, is the application of your power to enforce your prejudice on people that you want to enforce it on. That means whites have to stop calling black people racist. You call a black person prejudice, but you can never call a black person racist. Because the difference between me and you is I can, I can call you whatever crazy racial slur I want. I can not treat you a particular way. But racism's a bit different. It's, the, it's me using my structural capacity in connection to power to, to enforce my prejudice to cut things off from you. But that's why I'm glad we got a God that's bigger than the systems that are on this planet. Because if it was based on human systems, nothing would happen. But no system on this planet and no people on this planet in power can come against the, the might and the power of God through Jesus Christ. I'm still by myself. It's okay. It's all right. I know how it is. This is a little tough. We'll be all right. So where do we see racism? We see it in revisionist history. We see the people changing history. <laughs> revisionist history means revising history. <laughs> revising history. When you, when you talk about revising history and revisionist history, that, that means you change the narrative uh, uh, to, to, to focus on what you want to focus on and sometimes leaving out other stuff or altogether washing in and, and washing it out. I mean, in this country with our patriotistic disposition, many times our history is based on, man, this is a great country. Didn't we come here and start some great stuff? And, uh, and, and the question I'm asking is, which we are we talking about? Uh, um, um, because when we came over, we was in change. I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't think we were discovering anything when people were already here thriving. So to, 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 I wish you would let somebody come to your house and say, I discovered your house. And they just take your stuff out and start moving stuff in. Now, is that a discovery? Lord, help me today. Because it's not, because, of, because this new land, how is it new land? It's new to you, not new to the people that was here. See, racism, racism will make you forget about that. That's why you got one page on race and you got, you got 20 pages on the Constitution in our educational system. Revisionist history. Economics. I'm, I'm going to be a while, so y'all might as well sit back, get you an ottoman today. Today. Economics. Economics. There's economic disparity. Black women are paid differently than everybody else. And they're the most educated in our society. Uh-oh. Ain't nobody going to talk back. I'm going to keep moving. It's too early for this much truth. Education. Education. You have schools in this neighborhood. Strawberry Mansion section of Philadelphia does not have a high school. Did you hear what I just said? An entire neighborhood of over 20,000 people do not have one high school. But then lower below there in Brewery Town section of Philadelphia, they closed one of the high, they closed more high schools in North Philly than they did any other part of the city. And then they sold it to a charter firm, and that charter school, when gentrification happened, they started putting white kids in. Oh, anyway, I'm just keeping moving. But there's no racism in our society, educational racism. Let me come to this one last. I'm going to skip you. Uh, another way we see racism is, is art or iconography. What is I, now, now, you have to understand, when we look at art, when you, when you go, I don't know if you, I grew up in Catholic school. I didn't go into Catholic church, but from middle school to high school, <clears throat> I went to Catholic school. And, 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 and if you know how Catholicism or even Orthodox churches of the East are, there's a lot of iconography. The art is what's called iconography. That iconography is very purposeful. Iconography is likeness. It, I, I, iconography comes from uh, the Greek word uh, uh, icon and, and, and graphe, meaning uh, uh, likeness writing. And, 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 and the definition of it is to, to bring and create a, a picture in mind to invoke thought based on the disposition of the artistic icon that you're looking at. In other words, it, it wasn't iconography is not it's not just haphazard. Iconography is theologically, sociologically, economically, spiritually, politically purposeful. There is, there is a reason why when you go to Washington, D.C., there are statues everywhere. There's a reason why when you go down to Center City, there are statues. That's an icon to make you remember a particular story surrounding the person or thing that's being portrayed. The problem is, is when the people in power do the iconography, they get to cast the vision of the story based on the icon that's presented. Y'all ain't going to hear me today. It's, it's weapon of mass destruction is what it is. 
Our justice system, you can, you can call it what you want. Our justice system is full of it. That's why everybody bites their nails during cases in this country that's around racial injustice. We bite our nails because black people, we kind of don't expect it. We kind of brace ourselves. And now, now, now the country has got by start biting their nails like us. I'm, getting, I'm, I'm doing my introduction. Just stay with me. Now, 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 now they're boarding up your, the buildings now. When, when the, before the court case, they're talking about, we're going to close early today, y'all. And um, now am I pushing up against um, um, rioting? No, I'm not, I'm not saying rioting is righteous. Nobody is. But it's funny, everybody was talking about rioting being unrighteous until the Capitol got. I, I forgot, it's too early for all that. Um, it's too early for all that. It's too early for all that. So. The last place where you see racism is the church. Y'all very quiet. We have a deep legacy of racism in the church. Started in this, one of the places, it didn't start in the city. It came to a head in the city. Came to a head in the city when Richard Allen and Absalom Jones was at a prayer meeting at Georgia's United Methodist downtown. And they were being pulled out by the sexton, if you will. We don't use those type of terms now. That's like the sergeant at arms, the pool. That's their version of security, all right? He, he, he got order. When they were praying in the wrong place, can you imagine today being a multi-ethnic church and someone going up to one of the people groups in the church and said, this is not the place for your people? I mean, like, I want you to really imagine that. And he said, please let us finish prayer. And when prayer finished, 40 of them walked out, went into a blacksmith shop, and on top of an anvil, uh, Richard Allen opened his Bible and started the first denomination and black, ch black church in the north. The first one was in is African uh, Baptist Church in Savannah, Georgia. But this was a more solidifying kind of deal here. And that has rippled the church. And people said there's no such thing as the black church. Well, I've told you before, the reason why the black church it, it, it exists as an institution because the white church refused to be the church and therefore it made room and necessity for a black church that was the only place where dignity, significance, and identity can be applied to black people based on the gospel without the separation of sitting here, without the controlling of information, without the editing of the Bible, without the, 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 the demonic Episcopal uh, bishoping of the people of God. So what is a stronghold? What is a stronghold? We've been talking about this. A definition of stronghold says we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Every sin starts with a stronghold. Hear me. Racism is a sin. Prejudice is a sin that started with a stronghold. What is a stronghold? A stronghold is a stubborn mindset. I added that. I added stubborn. I was feeling it this morning. It's a stubborn mindset, value system, or thought process that hinders your growth. That's a stronghold. That goes for anything. Now let's get specific. What is a racism stronghold? What is racism as a stronghold? A stubborn mindset, value system, or thought process by an individual, group, or system that believes that one ethnic group, here, you got to hear the terminology here. I want you all to see it on the screen. One ethnic group collection of ethnic groups, tribes or collection of tribes ought to have supremacy over all other groups or tribes or one ethnic group or tribe. I want you to meditate on this, study it this week. This is going to be important for the entirety of the biblical theology of this sermon because we're going to see where did race come from in the Bible, where is race in the Bible, what is it in the Bible, and how should we view it Christologically. That's what this is about today. That's what it's about today. Let me just say this. Let me give you some examples of racial mindsets. I'm going to take my time if y'all don't mind. Number one, it uses scapegoat terminology to deny racism. Stuff like critical race theory. Oh, that's critical race theory. You don't even know what it is. You just heard that somewhere. And because you're a racist and you don't want to deal with your racism, you want to throw, you want to throw a grenade at the gospel. 
Marxism, cultural Marxism, ethnic Gnosticism, they're making up words to, to come against the fact that racial injustice exists. Another, another racist mindset is when you say just preach the gospel. Why when I talk about race, you say just to preach the gospel? If somebody marriage in trouble, I don't say Jesus Christ died for your sins. That doesn't, that makes, if somebody's on drugs, unless they're a non-Christian, I don't say Jesus died for your sins. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life, but it's so racist. It's racist because you would have, when I bring up a sin issue, you, you bring up a whole nother way of dealing with it that you wouldn't even deal with it with any other sin. Why? Because you're a racist. You are. Just admit it. You, you may think you're a, you may think you're just misunderstood. No, you are racist. Because you think you have the right to tell someone that's rebuking you for sin to use your earthly power to come against spiritual power. There's a difference. Why does everything have to be about color? How can you say that? Why would you? That's the most ignorant statement on the planet. When you bring up race, you say, why, do you, why does everything have to be about color? Everything in our society is about color. This society and even the church thought, taught us to think about color. Let's go around Philadelphia today. Go to any city today. You've taught us about color. How many churches have any other ethnicity in the building as the icons? And you're going to say, why is everything about color? Everything's about your color, which is actually a culture. We'll talk about that in a second because it's not even about color. It's a culture. It's bigger than just your skin color. It's a culture that's been developed as the color being the foundation. Another, another way is noses exist and ignores it. Quiet about it to keep the flow of money and power going. See, some of y'all, that's really what it's about. It's about, it's, it's about that bag. See, not dealing with racism for some of y'all is really about keeping your bag going. Because you know some of that old money will run out the door if you start talking about their issues. Don't nobody want to give you a million dollars and get their butt kicked at the same time? Oh, yeah. Because I, 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 I'm willing to lose mine. Because if you lose your life for his sake, you'll gain it. But if you try to gain your life for your own sake, you'll lose it. Speaking out against racism, <coughs> racial injustice to keep the flow of money coming. Some of y'all speak against racial injustice. So, so you can let you know, Master, eyes, eyes, ain't, eyes ain't like the other Negroes. Master, eyes, eyes over here, we's, we's, Master feeds us, Master clothes us. Look, look at me think I'm acting funny. Uh, this is the truth because some of y'all Negroes, let me tell y'all something. Some of y'all are some suckers in the spirit because you won't be honest with the racism that you're dealing with and you, wanna, you, wanna, you want the, the spoils of privilege and you'll sell out the gospel and you'll sell out your own people. You'll... Help me today, God. Master, it wasn't me. It was the ones in the field. Denies systemic racism. This denies it. Creates a cancel culture against certain terms to create false alerts around those calling out racism instead of them calling out racism as sin. Like if you say woke, if you say social justice, if you say black lives matter, you know that you, it's intellectually in dis disingenuous to think that when I say black lives matter, I'm talking about the organization that wants to break down the family. That's, that you have, you know we're not talking about them. You know we're not talking about Marxism. You know you're not, we're not talking about unredeemed wokeness. But because you have to carry that narrative in order to stop, the, the, to run a line in the sand to keep your division going, you'll do anything to keep it going. So racism is a stronghold family, spiritually embedded deeply in American culture. You can't drive a nail deep in and then wonder why it's hard to get out. And so when people say, when you speak out on racism, they say, why are you promoting division? No, we're calling division out. And so what do we say this here? I'll come back to whiteness. We're in second, why am I in first Peter? What does this verse have to do with racism? Everything, everything, everything. It tells us everything we need to know. It's the cliff notes of the Bible on race. This verse is a massive biblical anthology on every verse in the Bible on ethnicity, tribalism, and race. 
It, it, it's here. It's here. It's here. It's, it's, it's a grand proclamation of the sum total of the original plan and design of God prior to the fall and what he handed to Noah. We'll talk about it later. And what he ultimately handed to Israel, of which they failed. We'll come. I'm getting ahead of myself. But this verse is a proclamation of God's original plan fully fulfilled in Jesus. This is very important. And so the believers here, I like this book because this is a book that's talking about persecution that happens to the church. Why do I like that? I I like the fact that this book is talking about the persecution that's happening to the church. The reason why it's important is because the church was never afraid to go against culture. The reason why they're getting persecuted is because they refuse to let the culture influence and frame their Christianity to bring it under culture. And so because they were so committed to Jesus Christ, because they were committed to the gospel, because they were committed to the proclamation of the gospel, the movement of the spirit and disciple making and the mission of God and lives being changed. Many believers were spread out and they lost their businesses. They lost their bag because of the gospel. They said, if I have to lose everything that I've worked 50 years for, if it's for Christ, to live as Christ and to die is gain. See, we lost being built like that. But when you trust Christ, you built different. Because you built different. You cut from a different cloth. I'm getting ahead of myself. But when you you, you cut from that different cloth, there's a disposition. Nero was burning Christians, wiping them down with oil, impaling them through here. And putting them on a stake and lighting them on fire at night to light his camp. Because they refused to bow. They said, we believe in one God. They said, oh, they're atheists. If you believed in one God back then, you were atheists. Because you denied all the other gods. And so I, I can go on and on all of the reasons, but they weren't afraid to be countercultural. Where's that church at today? Where is that church at today that's not afraid of whatever the enemy can throw at them? Where is that church today that doesn't care what they have to stand on and what they got to lose, that they're going to do what God has called them to do? Where is that church that stands up for one another and stands up for the least, the last, and the lost? I want to know, where is that church? So I got one point and one point only. Help me, Jesus. One point and one point only. Jesus died to create one new race of people. Jesus died to create one new race of people. Oh, you guys got to ride with me today. Oh, help me today. Be patient with your pastor today. Um, there are only two types of races in the world. Did you know that? It's only two. It's redeemed and unredeemed. That's it. If you're white and I'm black, But I'm a believer, and you're a believer, we're the same race. Stay with me. It's very important. If someone's black, and I'm black, and you're white, but you're a believer, and they're not, we're of the same race spiritually. We're the same race fleshly in the body, but not spiritually the same race. So That's for black folk and white folk. Because we as black people can't get so hurt by what's going on in culture that we forget the biblical reality. You got to be careful because I, I, all of us have been on the verge of hating every white person. Oh, look in the camera. Look at me. Look at Pastor. Look at me, black people. You hate you. Hate you. you got you some serious hate for some white people, and it's sinful. Hate. Hate isn't godly. Be angry, but sin not. See, if your anger goes to hate, then that means that you are bitter. Bitterness causes a root. That root comes up and it comes into all different types of things. And the very thing that you had a right reason for anger becomes a sinful response that puts you into sin, just like the racist. So where did this all start? There being two races of people. Well, the Bible says in Genesis 3.15, this is exegetically, oh, oh, oh. It says in Genesis 3.15, it's, 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 the, the Bible just, the Bible is just a bomb book, family. I'm just trying to tell y'all. He says, he will bruise his head, but he will crush his head. That's where two seeds began. There's the seed of the woman. 
and there's the seed of Satan. Those are the only two races on this planet. If you don't know Jesus, you're Satan's seed. But if you're Eve's seed, because her seed was supposed to be different, which pointed to the ultimate seed, Jesus. And if you know Jesus, you're righteous seed, but it doesn't make sense to be Eve's seed and act like you're Satan's seed. And so why in the world would he say this? He says, but you are a chosen race. I, I, I like when the Bible says, but. He says, but you. That phrase, I mean, it's a contrasting phrase. It's to distinguish those who rejected Jesus in his incarnation from those who are in his holy family. Now, the phrase, but you, is interesting because it usually denotes a few things. It, it denotes a command. It denotes distinction, and it, and it denotes exhortation. You'll see the first time it comes out is in Genesis 7, 2, 17, when, Adam, when God was instructing Adam and Eve. Um, in, in Leviticus 18, 28, it says, but you are to keep my statutes and ordinances. Mark uh, 13, 9, it says, but you be on guard. Acts 1, 8, but you will receive power. Oh, I like that. First Timothy 6, 11 says, but you, man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Titus 2 1 but you are to proclaim but you is a is a distinctive a uh, 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 contrastive conjunctionary phrase used throughout scripture as a way to help us to know that we supposed to be different we're supposed to be different we're supposed to be different and when he calls us a chosen race this isn't denounced this isn't to denounce ethnicity I'm going to explain that in a second because some people say, well, you in Christ, your ethnicity don't exist anymore. That is so unbiblical. <laughs> that, let, me, let me explain something to you. That is extremely unbiblical. So it, it's not to denounce, uh, 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 denounce ethnicity or color. It's to show the power of the gospel amidst diversity. <laughs> That's the goal of it. The, the goal of us being a chosen race is not saying your ethnicity doesn't exist. It says despite your ethnicity, even though y'all look different, y'all have different DNA strands, you all are still one group of people. Because the blood is now your DNA. So whatever is in Jesus' DNA code in the natural, spiritual sense of transformation, that's what you are as a believer. We'll talk about our DNA code in a second. And so if you, like, 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 like when people act like the Bible doesn't talk about ethnicity, it's bad because if you start with Genesis to Revelation, there are literally, let, let, let me just say this. There are literally thousands, thousands of ethnic groups, tribes, and nations and colors mentioned. <clears throat> and I was taught in, in seminary and Bible study methods that if something repeats over and over and over again, there's emphasis there. I, I, you know, we want to use that sometimes, right? But so God goes through great lengths, interestingly enough, to meticulously mention them because he created them. And so the Bible, it's interesting, I was talking with one of our um, deaconesses this week, and, we, and she said something interesting. She said, she, said, she said, it's interesting, Pastor. She said, the Bible rarely talks about someone without mentioning their ethnic background. Have you noticed that in the Bible? Like, if the Bible didn't care about ethnicity, why does it always go to great lengths to talk about their ethnicity. I mean, unity, again, isn't a denial of our natural ethnicity. It is to show the power of God in our spiritual ethnicity. So you see, let, let, let me just give you some examples like this. Simon the, Simon the Serene, the Antioch leaders. You I mean, you got uh, uh, this guy of Niger. You got Uriah the Hittite. You got the Seraphonician woman. You got the Philippian jailer. You got the Ethiopian eunuch. You got Zipporah the Kutzite. You got the Queen of Sheba. You got Ehud the Benjamite. You have Jesus calling uh, Nathaniel the Israelite in whom there's no uh, deceit. You got Jesus being from the tribe of Judah. And you got people from every tribe and tongue and nation in Revelation 7. If the Bible did not have anything to say about ethnicity, why in the world does it go through so many limbs to always talk about ethnicity? That's because God created it and God valued it. It, but we should not make our ethnicity superb and supreme over another one's. So nobody's telling, trying to guilt white people and telling you to hate being white. See, nobody, see, see when we say black power, when somebody say, um, why can't I say white power? I say everything in the society says white power. And you saying that comes off crazy. That, 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 that's just some craziness. Don't walk down Diamond Street just marching talking about some white power. Wrong neighborhood to do that. You do that in Bridesburg. You can't do that over here. 
Somebody get that on the way home. You know why. If you're from Philly, you know why. Race of people. What does race mean? I like this definition. Listen to this definition. People who are believed to belong to the same genetic stock. I like that. We got the same genetic stock. If you had a child you, and somebody had a child, you can't deny that child. That child looked just like you. You know, and the DNA result says, right? Right? Of the same genetic stock, in the new covenant identity, our genetic stock is union with Jesus. That's the doctrine of the union of Christ. Look that up when you get a chance. The doctrine of the union of Christ. The fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, new creation, body of Christ, temple, bride of Christ, Zion, the ecclesia, assembly of the saints, assembly of the upright, body of Christ, branch of God's planting, bride of Christ, church of God, church of the living God, church of the firstborn, city of God, congregation of the saints, congregation of the Lord's poor, dove, a family of heaven and earth, flock, God, you get the idea. That's our DNA. So even though we have different ethnicities, our spiritual DNA should be the same. That means it doesn't take you being black to recognize racism. We have the same DNA and we have, the Bible says, we all have the mind of Christ. So we got a new mind now. So that means there is some questions coming up in the DNA dialogue if you can't recognize racism. If you say we're from the same genetic stock, this is not just a non-essential disagreement. Like non-essential disagreements is like, your church speaks in tongues publicly, ours doesn't. Y'all meet in the house, we meet in the building. We can, we can, we can agree to disagree, but we can't, agree, we can't disagree on racism though. That, that's an essential Bible doctrine to not disagree on. He calls us a royal priesthood. Are y'all still tracking with me? He calls us a royal priesthood. What does royal mean? Royal means belonging or befitting of a supreme ruler. Oh, that's swagalicious right there. I like that. That just make you want to walk different. I'm befitting of a ruler. Now, now I ain't finished yet because you, you may shout if you got a little Pentecostalization in you. But priesthood means the body of religious practitioners invested with ministerial or priestly authority. In other words, when you were born again, you were after the order of Melchizedek. In other words, Jesus Christ is of a new order. He's not a Levitical priest. He, he's, he's out of the line of Judah, not the line of Aaron or Moses. And because of that, he, God always does stuff different when he wants to do a new thing. And so when Jesus came on the scene, he became the priest of Shalom. In other words, he's the priest of the eternal order of priests. Therefore, anybody put their confidence in him is, be, is, is a part of this eternal priesthood. So you and I are Mechizedekian. Now, you got you to gotta feel this when you get a chance. I, I want you to feel all this when you get a chance. Because as the new covenant representatives, our title is both priestly and royal. See, see, God, when he redoes your identity, he overdoes it. He overdosed you with newness. <sighs> help me today, God. I'm in an unpentecostalized place today, Lord. God, help us. This whole idea, he says, I want you to be kingdom of priests. There's no statement of your identity that's greater than that. Because when you talk about being a kingdom of priests, it goes back to Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, family, it says, and you will be my kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. Now, what's interesting is Peter is taking that verse and inserting it in the new covenant. Now, we're going to see why in a second why this is so important. Because the people of God were supposed to be those who were a kingdom of priests. I'm explaining that. Now, first, there are three offices that oversee the New Testament, the, uh, the, both Testaments. There's one that's, inf that, that's an that, that's a, uh, instituted office, and there's the inferential office. There's prophet, priest, and kings. Our Savior was a prophet. He was a priest. And he, no, he is a prophet. He is a priest and he is a king. Let me, let me change my was. He was nothing. Um, he was everything, ever, all, always, right? And so prophets represents people to God. They speak counterculturally to power. 
Kings represent God's leadership to the people and the nation's fighting systems of power. Priests represent the people to God, interceding and spiritually fighting, teaching and nurturing peace in the world. That's what you're supposed to do as a priest. We're supposed to be nurturing peace in the world. When Jesus wrote the Beatitudes, I know we're in a lot of Bible today, in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, when he says, uh, 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 blessed are the peacemakers, that's priestly language. That's priestly language. Why is that priestly language? Because the priest was to take the peace offering and he was supposed to offer it in order that there would be peace in Israel. He would do atonement in order that there would be peace between God and man. He would do the free will offering in order to make sure that there was things that God was reminded from his people that we're thankful for everything that he's done for us. A priest is supposed to make sure that the alignment between God and people is good. That's, that's the role of the priest. And so it says, a holy nation. Leviticus 19.1 says, you are a holy nation. The word kadosh is an interesting Hebrew word. It means to cut. It means to cut. <clears throat> um, on our 10th year anniversary, <clears throat> Epiphany hooked me up. They didn't think I wore no suits enough. So they hooked me up with, a, um, with, with the ability to get, get uh, a tailored suit. I'd never gotten a suit tailored before. This is, I always wanted a tweed suit. I ain't trying to floss. Y'all did this, so I ain't got a Bentley or nothing. So let me have my little suit, y'all. <laughs> um, so, so I said, I want a tweed joint. They gave me the little thing. I went downtown in my suit, and I went there, and, and they, 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 they said, Mr. Mason, choose your cloth. And I, I chose the cloth. I said, ah, I like this cloth. I said, this is, this is a herringbone tweed. And matter of fact, it's not only herringbone, it's Harris tweed. Now, 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 now you got to understand Harris Tweed is, 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 is made on an island off the coast of Scotland. And, 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 and the queen allowed for them to trade to nations without this, them so that the poor people on that island could benefit from it. And they made Tweed because it's cold so much on the island. And so I said, I want some Harris Tweed. And so I touched it. She said, all right, sir. And so they took my, they took my little specifications and you know, all around and everything. I, like, I felt special. I felt like I was in a mob movie. You know what I'm saying? What I'm saying? I was standing up in the mirror like this. You know what I'm saying? Looking like Nino Brown when he get... Y'all don't, don't know what I'm talking about. And so I, I was standing up there and they took my little specifications. And then, they, then when they took it specifications, they, they roll out on this big roll. This. This tweet is beautiful. And they cut enough away so that it could create what I asked for and specified. And so now, when it's on the roll, it's just called fabric. But when the tailor got finished working with it, I gave the tailor, I said, I want, they said, what, do you, what kind of buttons you want? I said, I want those leather buttons. He said, I said, he said, what you want on the lapel? I want it red, I want the flinking lapel. And then I want the double lapel right here on this section under this part. And then I, I, picked, the, I picked the lining, y'all. You could pick the lining. And I, I picked, in, in, in other words, I picked the specifications of what was cut away from everything else. And on the roll, when this got built into this suit, it was no longer just fabric. It was a suit. Because when you're cut away from everything else, even though you may look like everything else, even though you may, but when God reshapes you, he tailors you into the image of Christ. And when he tailors you into the image of Christ, you're no longer just a general piece of earthly fabric. You're a royal priest. You're a holy nation chosen unto God. You're chosen, you're chosen, you're chosen. So a holy nation. I'm st I still got a little ways to go. Just be patient. That means we're a nation among nations. This is very important. I want you to really, like the teacher used to say in grammar school, put on your thinking caps. Where did this race stuff start? It started in the spirit world. Did you know that? In Deuteronomy, 32nd chapter, verse 8. I was reading Heiser and I, looking at it, it just, this is a very strange verse until worked through. These two verses are very strange. It says, when the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, he divided them, 
He divided the human race. Listen, notice it's singular, the human race. The human race. He divided the human race and sent and set the boundaries, listen, of the peoples according to the number of the people of Israel. The Lord's portion is his people, Jacob. Please stay with me. His Jacob, his own inheritance. He found him in a desolate land and a barren and wallow wilderness. He surrounded him. Okay. So, so why is this here? Even after the fall, the Bible says that there was one human race, but they would be geographically divided, not ethnically divided. Stay with me. The thing that made everybody different was geography. That's what made you a nation. Stay with me. Now, Nationality is based on geography, not ethnicity. The fall of the sons of God, there were several falls, if you remember, from our spiritual warfare series. A lot of people don't know Satan didn't fall before Genesis 3. That was his fall in Genesis 3. That's why the judgment is on him. I don't have time to talk about all of it now. Go back to the series. (laughs) But... In Genesis 6, when the sons of God, who were spiritual beings, not earthly kings, came on earth, they lost their boat. God gave them, based on Genesis 32, geographic authority over different geographical locations. Now, the sons of God aren't angels. Stay with me. They're not angels. They're spiritual beings in the hierarchy of God's kingdom. You got seraphim, cherubim, heavenly creatures, elders, all different types of beings, warring angels, archangels, all of those are different beings. Everybody in heaven isn't an angel. Yo, when you die, you don't turn into an angel. Okay? So when you look at Deuteronomy 32, God, geographic, did a spiritual cosmic geography. He says, you, son of God, go over there. Sons of God are just beings. They're not gods in the sense of Yahweh. He said, you take that territory, you take that territory. And as after the fall, as I spread the nations across the earth, I want you to make sure they know about me. Now, because of the fall, I've given you geographic authority, even though I'm over everything. Because he's the Lord God of heavens and earth. What happened was, is God calls them into account in Psalm 82, verse 1. And when he calls them into account, he calls them into account because they are wilding. They got over their geographical territories and, and start, like my mama said, smelling their underarm sauce. And when that began happening, God had to direct his plan. And this was God's plan. Before the fall, God's desire was that Adam and Eve would be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and fill, there would, would, there would be no need for cosmic geography because man would have ruled all the geographies. Y'all got to stay with me. But because of the fall, God had to put a spiritual geography in place because originally heaven and earth were supposed to be overlapping. And because of the fall, there was a there was an eclipse of the connection. And so God had to create connection points to reconnect with earth in the way that he could create in, in the way he wants to. But he created a format for it. And he usually did it through chosen people. Adam and Eve lost their chosenness. Noah fell in his, in his role. Israel was supposed to come. And Israel, guess what Israel's role was? Not to be an ingrown toenail for itself. Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. Draw the people of God from under the false sons of God back to God. That was their purpose. But guess what Israel did? They became ethnocentric. That's why you have Pharisees in the New Testament. They became ethnocentric and they thought God's kingdom was for them only. It's nothing new. And then those sons of God, with their God, the Egyptians thought they were the best. The, pal- the, 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 the people in Persia thought they were the best. The people in Babylon thought they were the best. The people in Yugoslavia thought they were the best. The people in Neo-Russia thought they were the best. The, the people in the Abyssinian regions thought they were the best. The, the Native Americans thought their gods were the best. Oh, everybody. And guess what that is? That is when the ethnic distinctions started. It started in the spirit realm, made its way into the natural realm. Now, what's our role? Jesus comes back. When Jesus comes, guess what Jesus does? Jesus makes a statement that you don't even realize. It's not just 
an evangelism statement. It's a race statement. Go ye therefore into all ethnos and kerygma to Christu. Preach me. And guess what we're supposed to do with the gospel? The gospel is supposed to undermine every regional deity. Whenever someone from a different nation comes to God, they are snatched from under that son of God's authority. Y'all don't know when to shout. So what does racism do? Racism is a distraction from that. We're supposed to, what are we supposed to be? We're supposed to be locking arms, Latinos, white folks, Caribbean folk, people of mixed, we're supposed to be locking arms and we are supposed to be the global ethnic example. That was our, that's our role. And our role was to proclaim his excellence. Why in the world would it tell us in Ephesians 3 to preach the gospel to demons? And spirit being, it said, you ought to proclaim the mysteries to the, to the rulers and authorities. How do you do that? When you, when someone, when you engage someone cross ethnic lines with the gospel and they're snatched, the gospel gets preached to them. They don't get saved, but they just know that their power isn't more powerful than the gospel. Even the racial stuff and ethnic divisions and tribalism and geographicalism that they tried to put together, the gospel is more mighty than that. And what happens then is it said, you can't split us up because God has brought us together. And what God has brought together. Let no man. I got to close this, man. Just give me one more second. Y'all don't mind, do you? One more second. I promise I'm done. Paul goes into uncharted territory in Athens. He tells them, he says, from one man has he made every nationality to live over the whole earth. I just said that. And he has determined their appointed times and their boundaries where they would live. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps, (laughs) hallelujah, feel their way towards him. Though he is not far from each of us, for in him we live, move, and have our being. And even some of our own, your own poets, he, 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 he quotes one of their rap songs. He says, for we are his offspring. He says, since then we are God's offspring. We should think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone and an and image fashioned by human art or imagination. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. Ah, he has provided proof of this to everyone by raising Jesus from the dead. I'm out. We're cut to build. What do we cut out to build? We cut out to build new people. We cut out to build kingdom in our cities, the kingdom in our cities, peace in our cities. Joy in our cities, institutions in our cities, healings in our cities, eradicate poverty in our cities, build institutions in our cities, build uh, break strongholds in our cities, transform youth in our cities, transform education in our cities, proclaim the gospel ultimately to our cities. Body of Christ, it's time to see this is, let's change our minds from my ethnocentrism prejudice and racism and reinsert our unified identity together in Christ. That, my friends, that, my friends, is how you eradicate racism. Father God, we bless you. And we are overwhelmed by the might of the gospel, which is able to bring someone from spiritual disconnection to spiritual connection. Lord, maybe there's someone here that's in our comments online or in this room that doesn't know you're a savior. 
we would love to talk to you about what it means to put your confidence and faith in Jesus Christ to go from spiritual disconnection to spiritual connection, spiritual disconnection to spiritual connection. By believing that he died on the cross and was raised up from the grave, our search team will put in a link down there. If you want to put your confidence in Christ and say yes to him where you are and help him to deal with everything in your life, we're here for you. And ultimately, even better than that, he's here for you. He's here for you. Well, let's prepare our hearts and minds for communion. In the room, if you haven't received, just hold your hand up. We'll make sure you're good. So take communion. Um, you have to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Um, it's symbol, symbolic of our relationship with him. The reason why we always say believers take it because people need to know that this is not a ritual. <clears throat> this is us affirming one of the signs of the new covenant. The sign of the new covenant. The sign of the new covenant is a way for us to affirm by the power of God that we want to live in light of the Christ based on 1 Corinthians chapter 11. On the night, before I say that, before I say that, communion was an ultimate time for every believer to know that you can't get saved by your money. <laughs> you can't get saved by where you were born, what color you are, what ethnicity you are. Listen, everybody had to come through the narrow gate. And communion actually is a time for people of different ethnicities in the church to hold up, hold up that bread real quick, hold it up. This is the way we got in. This is the way we got in. Well, why are we holding it up? Why did Jesus hold it up? He held it up above his own head. And he held it up because this is our point of unity. Let us eat together. <laughs> hold up your cup. Why did he hold up the cup? Why did he hold it up? For us, we hold it up as a way to let us know that it was pouring all over us. I don't know how many quarts of blood are in a body, but whatever amount was in his body was enough to save every last one of us. And now, family, we're of his DNA. We're of his DNA. I want you to remember that. Our DNA is his and his alone. Let us drink together. Lord God Almighty, we need you to do your work. I come against the stronghold of racism and prejudice, all of its denials. Lord, help us to deal with every single issue and deal with it based on your word, not our personal preferences, not our fears, and not even on what we lose. We may lose everything, but we'll always have you. Now unto him who is able to present you faultless before his throne with exceeding gladness and joy. To him, our God and Savior, be glory, be majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. God bless you. Take care. Have a good one. Much love. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you.